Hello, and welcome to Jetavanarama Buddhist Monastery. Today we meet with an all-new episode on the series of Dhamma Talks titled The Buddha's Guide to Happiness. It's entitled that because that's exactly what we are after. We are on the pursuit of happiness. We are seekers of happiness. We are on this journey because we have all understood one truth. This is the reality. The reality that although you and I and everyone else, we seem to get up to all sorts of interesting things, activities and endeavors. And despite us doing them all, in the hope of achieving and reaching happiness and fulfillment and enriching our lives with that wonderful thing that is happiness, it always seems to escape us. So it seems like we are on the chase of something that is always one step ahead of us. It almost seems like a mockery of our good souls because we keep on trying but we always seem to miss it. And this is so true in all our lives and it doesn't take us too, too much to acknowledge, realize that this is the truth. We have discussed plenty of examples by now, ladies and gentlemen, for us to come to the sound conclusion that despite all our endeavors, our efforts, our energy expended in the name of happiness, despite our servitude to all pursuits of the eye, the ear, nose, tongue and the body, our sense organs, in the pursuit of happiness, we are still looking for it. We are forever thirsty, although the sight of water seems to be just yonder. So really, it's like a mirage, the mirage of happiness seems to keep us forever heading towards it in that direction, but never reaching it. Now, that must conclusively inform us that this happiness that we have been seeking in our lives is just that, it's a mirage. And so what do we do? Give up? Stop it all? Just go back to our beds and sleep? until our last days? No, that would be pointless. That would be meaningless, senseless. Why? Well, because we are sensible creatures. We are so full of intelligence and intellect. We can analyze things. We can understand things. When we take the time to explore and discover the realities of the world, we as a human race 
are able to achieve many a feat. We are not a kind who will just rest on our laurels, but instead, we always keep working hard and striving. So, just as we have been doing the same on the pursuit of a mirage, the purpose of these talks is to present to you, to introduce to you, to lay this card one more on the table so you can make some informed choices, an informed decision to check whether you've got the right bearings and if not, to take the time to recalibrate your heading. So on that journey, on that exploration, on that path of discovery, let us take yet another step forward. I invite you to come along with me as we tread another step on the path to achieving ultimate happiness, a happiness that is transcendent, that is independent, that is unconditional, that does not rely on external factors, factors that are out with your control. Therefore, this is a journey to helping you achieve masterdom of your own happiness. Before we make that step forward, let us take a moment to pay homage to the perfect one, the most magnificent one, the fully enlightened one, the miraculous one, that is the Supreme Buddha. And once we've done that, let's continue our journey. Namo tassa bhagavato arhato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arhato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arhato samma sambuddhasa Let's trace one or two steps back before we take a leap forward. It's always important to make sure we've got a good grounding before we jump. Lest we make the wrong jump or worse, in the wrong direction. And we miss a step, miss the mark. On a long journey that we've come, we've got as far as reconsidering our understanding of the truths that relate to this world and existence. You remember we talked about the four non-noble truths or the four ordinary truths and we call them that because it is what ordinary people do. The vast majority of people engage in their pursuit of happiness by using the four non-noble truths as their philosophy. So what were the four non-noble truths? It's simply put, when you want something, you can't have it. That seems to be the problem. Why can't you have it? 
but it's because something's getting in the way or someone's getting in the way. So that is the cause for not being able to get what I want. So now we have the first and the second non-noble truth. What was the third? Well, it was pretty obvious, wasn't it? If somehow we were able to get rid of the cause, the cause being that which stopped us from getting what we wanted, then, well, simple as, you get what you want. So it is simply that understanding. And finally, there must be a method, the path, some activity that we can do to get rid of the cause, not the result, but the cause. What was the cause again? That which is stopping us from getting what we want. And you will recall that we've used plenty of examples by now to understand this principle. Now, do remember that although I refer to it as a principle, it is fundamentally flawed. Nevertheless, it is what is used all over the world because of ignorance. People don't know any other method. You, I, and everyone, at some point in our existence, we would have resorted to the four non-noble truths in our pursuit of happiness. And that is true universally. Whether you are a human or a divine being, or any other form of existence, even down to animals. Animals work on their instinct, that may be, but just think about how they achieve their happiness. They want something and they can't have it, then what do they do? They somehow work towards eradicating that which gets in their way of getting what they want. Somehow taking it out. It could be a threat, could be a predator, could be some other obstacle that gets in the way of the, their lunch or gets in the way of being with their young ones, whatever the case might be. And then execution, which is the activity that follows in order to get what they want. So if it's something that even animals can do, well, it goes to say, doesn't it, that it doesn't require a lot of intelligence. It's what comes to us instinctively, not intellectually. It is not necessarily the intelligent thing to do, but perhaps the intuitive thing to do. But, as I said earlier, as creatures of intelligence, as people with, or human beings with higher capacity to analyze, understand, study, and comprehend, that things that we see around us and make sense of it in the ways that mean something to us. We can re-understand the world around us, always. Every opportunity in life is an opportunity to recalibrate our understanding of the world around us. That is how today you are enemies with someone and the following day you can be friends. Simply a change in your understanding, in your perception, in how you perceive them. So, in much the same way, 
I invited you to have a rethink about the methods, the philosophy that you use on your pursuit of happiness. Now, please do remember, and I emphasize this point, I have thus far not asked you, and I don't intend to either, that you should give up all hope of happiness or achieving it. Because that is not our vision. That is not our aim. That is not our goal. The goal remains the same as was earlier. Our purpose remains the same, the same as it was earlier. It's just our philosophy. You're simply changing the set of the sail, not your destination. Why do we do this? Well, it's simply because the set of the sail earlier was not bound to get you to your destination. We know this because we have never truly achieved an everlasting, never-ending, fulfilling happiness. And you have to admit that. Any level of happiness that you might have achieved has always been very temporary. So, now we are about to discuss an alternative. So, in last week's talks, I introduced the concept of the Four Noble Truths. And really, we were just scratching on it on the surface. And we began to ask ourselves the question, what is so noble about the Four Noble Truths? Why is it noble? What makes it noble? What is the fundamental difference between this and our previous methods and mechanisms that we used to achieve happiness? The nobility in this new philosophy, let me remind you, is that this is a permanent fix to the problem at hand. Once you've done it, you've done it. You don't have to do it twice. What does that mean? What that means is it gets to the root of the problem and fixes it there. Now you know this from your study of various disciplines, worldly affairs and matters, science, physics, business, technology, right? Whenever you are able to find the source of a problem, get to its roots, and address it there, that comprehensively eradicates the problem. That is why we call it root cause problem analysis. And this four noble truths, this new philosophy, I say new because it's just new to this series of talks. It's not something that I have invented. So it's not new in that sense. It's new to our discussion. So this new philosophy that we are about to embark on is a noble truth. It's noble because once you've done it, you've done it. It's what noble folk do. It's the intelligent thing to do. Think of it like that. The four intelligent truths, if you like.
The word noble has other meanings in various contexts, but think of it as it's what intelligent people would do. It's what the wise people would do. It's what the clever people would do. Why? No, not because they're followers of the Buddha. That's not why. It's because it truly addresses the problem. Let's take an example. The first noble truth is that the problem, the problem is wanting. That is the first noble truth. You could say it's the first noble truth of suffering, as you may have come across. Why is it called the first noble truth of suffering? Is a question you might have. Is that all Buddhism talks about? Suffering, 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 all day long, just suffering. And the second noble truth of suffering? I mean, surely, if suffering is what we want to do without, then why just go on about suffering? Why is that the only thing we talk about? And here Bhante is talking about, let's try and achieve our happiness, and he's going on about suffering. Surely, shouldn't we stop talking about suffering and start talking about happiness for once? Well, the thing is this. Happiness is the default state. Aha. Now that we need to truly get into our skulls. Happiness is the default state, folks. Happiness is not something you have to work hard for. Now I know this goes against every fundamental principle that you might have learned about existence, about life, about living. From your study of history to economics, science, math, art, human development, anthropology, psychology, you might have ideas and opinions which go completely against what I have just proposed. That may seem the case from the outset. But don't be flustered, don't worry. Just be open-minded. The things that you know are really mostly true. There's only a tiny little adjustment that needs to be made. Most of what you know is true. So you haven't all completely been fooled. So you needn't worry. But some of the things that I say may sound controversial and it may go against and at, be at odds with everything that you know and hold to be true. So when I say that happiness is the default state, you might wonder, that can't be true. Surely we have to do something to be happy. Like, for instance, I, when I want to be happy, I go on holiday, Bhante. So, happiness cannot be the default state, in which case, I could just be at home and be happy. But that doesn't seem to be true. Why on earth then would I be booking my holidays? Saving up money? Booking the flights? 
packing the bags, looking up on TripAdvisor, finding the points of interest and good places to go to, good places to dine at, looking up reviews and asking out, asking around people. Why would I do that? If, as you suggest, happiness is the default state. I did say this is going to be a paradigm shift in your thinking. Most of what you know is true, but there's just one thing that needs to be tweaked. And that one thing when tweaked, it may seem like everything has flipped. This is simple and subtle at the same time. So you'll have to bear with me. Well, as you have done and remain with us throughout this series of talks, I invite you to please be patient. Just because this doesn't sound and agree with what you think to be true, I don't think it would be too wise to switch off or think to yourself, ah, pointless, what's he going on about? It doesn't make any sense at all. Bear with me. I promise everything will make sense. Just give it some time and be open-minded. Nothing I have said so far, I have said and then expected you to accept with blind faith, have I? Or take at face value, have I? I've always asked you to question everything, challenge everything. And I've even gone as far as asking you to try and prove that what I'm saying is not true, but instead false. Because in trying to prove it false, you realize, well, you realize what you realize. So, why do you have to go on holiday? Why do you have to go and eat out? Why do you have to go to the theater? Why do you have to go to the gig? Why do you have to be with friends or watch a movie? Get a takeaway. It seems like these are the things that you do to be happy, right? In fact, if you ask someone, what are your hobbies? Who says, oh, just sitting on my backside, doing nothing all day? Who, say, who, who says that? No one. Because everyone's got something they do for fun. Right? When people ask, you know, what, what are your interests? Uh, that's how you, some of the things they ask when they get to know each other, right? Hey, who are you? What's your name? How old are you? Where are you from? What do you do? And then, what are your hobbies? What does it mean, what are your hobbies? It means, what do you do for fun? That when you're bored, what do you get up to? When just life doesn't seem worthwhile living, what, what gets you excited? What gets you back up on your feet? When you're on a downer. Now, these are the things that we call hobbies. So, it seems to have been... inculcated in our minds that we always have to do something to be happy. Either playing the piano, reading a book, playing games, listening to music, are some of the other examples among the ones that I mentioned earlier. And therefore, you look forward to the weekend, don't you? What are the two most favorite days of your week? Your weekend, why is that? 
Well, it's because you get to do the things that you want. You get to do the things that you like. You get to do the things that make you, what is it? Happy. So therefore, you struggle to agree with me that happiness can be the default state. Doesn't sound right. Can happiness be the default state? And why is it the truths, the noble truths always have a suffering at the end of it? Any book you read on Buddhism will have this. What are the four noble truths? Look it up in any book you find and it will say the first noble truth of happiness. Oh no, it will say the first noble truth of suffering. Here we go again, suffering, suffering, suffering. I'm not here for suffering. Why should I find out about the truth of suffering? I mean, like, who does that? But when you begin to consider, like, just consider. I don't say accept this entirely. I, I, I invite you to consider, as I have been doing throughout the star, throughout this series of talks, I've always asked you to remain open-minded. That you promised me. That you shall remain open-minded. That is all I ask for. Oh, and you test these principles in the lab of life. Remain open-minded. Take these principles with you and test them in the lab of your life. And then you decide for yourself whether these things add up or not. So why is it the noble truth of suffering? Now, see, when you consider that happiness is the default state, now it makes sense, doesn't it? If happiness is the default state, then everything you do can only take away that happiness. What do, you think, what do you think about that? Just take a moment to allow that to sink. If happiness is the default state, then everything you do can only take away that happiness. Whereas on the other hand, if suffering is the default state, then everything you do should make you happy. Now, as you can see, you know, these are worlds apart. They, they seem like one philosophy is the mirror image of the other. Why? Entirely opposite. You stand in front of the mirror and raise your right arm. Which arm goes up in the mirror? The left. These are polar opposites. That is why I ask you to remain open-minded and please consider. And all will make sense in due course. I mean, if nothing else, it's just, you know, it's been an interesting conversation, hasn't it? I'm pre presenting to you something to think about, to exercise your intellect, your intellectual muscles, if you like. So getting back to the point, if something 
is the default state, then anything you do to alter that can only get you the opposite of that. So if suffering were the default state, then anything you do should allow you to achieve happiness, should help you to achieve happiness. Whereas if happiness were the default state, then anything you do can only put you into suffering. Now, take a moment and ponder over this question. You look forward to the weekend, right? Why? Because you can do some of the things that we just mentioned. Like going out, being with friends, having a party, barbecue, going fishing, having a beer, going to the pub. going to a musical, all sorts. So you look forward to the weekend. You look forward to the weekend so that you can do these things that make you, make you what? Make you happy. So if you have to do things to make you happy, what would be the state if you didn't do those things? What's that I hear you say? Suffering, right? Is it not true then that you do these things because you want to be happy and therefore if you didn't do them or if you weren't able to do them, what state of mind would you be in? A state of suffering. So therefore, it seems like the default state is suffering. Right? You agree with me? And now I'm proposing to you that no, no, no. The default state is happiness. And it's the things you do that put you into a state of suffering. So how do we reconcile these two? Because, you see, I'm always asking you and I always invite you and encourage you to take these principles into the lab of life and I'm asking you to do it on the fly. You've just taken it to the lab of life and it doesn't seem like it adds up. Why? Because when you go into the lab of life, I look forward to the weekend to do stuff. It's doing them that makes me happy. So surely I'm in a state of default unhappiness. I'm unfulfilled. I'm unsatisfied. So what Bhante is suggesting cannot be true. In the lab of life, it fails the test. So how do you reconcile these two? Take a moment to think about this. Let's assume for a moment that the default state were happiness, right? I'm developing a hypothesis here. 
let's assume that the default state were happiness. Now, you don't have to agree and accept this because in the lab of life, it has failed the test, right? But I'm just asking you to assume that for a moment, that happiness is the default state. If happiness is the default state, then you don't have to do anything to be happy. Would you agree? If happiness were the default state, then you don't have to do anything to be happy. So surely anything you do can only put you into suffering. But you have to do things, don't you? To be happy. Therefore, the default state has to be suffering. So, hypothesis. The default state is happiness. Things that I do make me unhappy. How do we go about reconciling the difference between this and what seems to be true in the lab of life? Here's an interesting question for us to work on an answer. Have the things you've been doing brought you a forever happiness? Has it? Or have they? No, they haven't, and this is why you have to keep on doing them. So, the things that you do for happiness, do they truly bring you ultimate happiness? No. That's why you have to keep on doing them. Now, hear me out. When we talked about the four non-noble truths, we discussed that when you want something and you can't have it, that was suffering. Here I propose to you that wanting is suffering. So what if you didn't want it? Anything. Now, you must try and understand that by this I don't suggest that you didn't, you didn't, you don't need anything, like literally anything. You don't need to breathe. You don't need to eat. No, no, that's not what I'm suggesting. I'm talking about things of, that we desire, right? Our desires, the things that we pursue, the things that we crave. What if you didn't want anything? You know, whatever you had, you were content with. What sort of state of mind would that be? Where you didn't want anything? If you didn't want anything, what state of mind would you be in then? You'd be in a state of happiness, wouldn't you? Why do I say that? Well, think about this, folks. When you want something and you don't have it, how does that make you feel? Makes you feel Sad. To be very simply, sad. 
So what you then do is you engage in some sort of activity which requires effort, which you wouldn't exercise under normal circumstances. By normal circumstances, I mean if it didn't allow you to achieve what you want, you wouldn't do it. Why? Because it's strenuous. But when there's something you want, now you don't mind going all the way to achieve it. A simple example. Let's say you develop a crush on someone. Right? So you've seen someone and you now have a crush on him or her. And now you know to spend some time with this person, you're going to have to go some distance. Maybe several miles. Maybe jump on a plane to go and see this person, catch a bus or hop on a train, whatever. Right? So from wherever you are, you would, wouldn't you, make the effort, travel that distance to go and see this person? And, I mean, especially if it develops into an affair, then, you know, there would be nothing that could stop you. You know, you might fly across the globe to go and see this person. Many thousands of kilometers. Tens of flight hours. How do you do that? So, but would you do that if you didn't want to be with this person? I mean, if there was nothing you particularly needed, would you, would you walk a mile just for the sake of it? I don't mean for exercise. I mean, you know, just for the sake of it, would you would you walk a mile? I mean, you know, do you like get up one day and like, I want to walk a mile? That doesn't happen. You know, do you just wake up one morning and think to yourself, I'm just going to get on a bus and, you know, travel a few stops and then cross the road, hop on the bus that's traveling the other direction and I'm going to come back, come back home? Do you do that? No one does that. That would be insane. You'd only do that with purpose. That purpose would be acquiring the desire or acquiring your heart's desire. Whatever it is your heart desires, you would engage in activity to acquire that which you desire. So when you have something that you desire, then this activity seems meaningful. But take out that piece, that part, that component, which is the thing you desire or desiring in itself. So in other words, wanting, take that out. Now that journey, that effort seems meaningless and you wouldn't normally make it. So is it not true then? That exercise, and I don't mean physical exercise, I mean engaging in activity. That is strenuous because you are expending energy. The expenditure of energy comes at a cost. You have to labor. It's work. So there's effort involved. You know, it, it has its effects on the parts of your body. There's wear and tear. 
You had to get up and go. But you wouldn't normally do it, not if there was something you didn't want. You'd only do it if there was something you wanted. I'll take another example. I know this might sound a little bit silly, but it is true nonetheless. Sometimes the silliest of examples are the best to help make sense of little things or make sense of things quite easily. Now, would you ever just keep moving your jaws, you know, with an empty mouth? Would you keep just rubbing your jaws against each other? You know, in just the fashion that a a cow might chew on its cud. Would you do that? Just picture that. You know, you just moving, rubbing your jaws against each other without anything in your mouth. Would you do that? No. Why? <laughs> Why would you? That requires energy and it's, it's painful. After a while, you get fed up of it. Why, why do I do that? But if there was something you wanted to eat, maybe something chewy, but something you find delicious, it might be hard to swallow, might be something that's hard to chew, but if you really wanted it, now you wouldn't have any problem doing that. So you're willing to expend energy, you're willing to make effort, you're willing to do something painful. If there is something that can be obtained in return, and what is that thing that can be obtained in return? if it is something your heart desires. In other words, if it's something you want. So, if there's something you want, you will go the extra mile, you will go any mile, any number of miles, to get what you want. It just depends on how badly you want it. So the more you want it, the more you're willing to go as far as it takes to work as hard as it takes, to toil as much as it takes to get what you want. But take away the wanting, now you wouldn't do any of that. Why? Because it's painful. So when you want it and you do it, is it any less painful? Does the pain go away? Or is it simply your mental perception of you know, I'm doing it for purpose. I'm doing it. It's meaningful. It's worth doing. Why is it worth doing? It's worth doing because I get what I want. If you're only doing because it gets you what you want, now take away the wanting. Would you do it now? You know, sometimes, right? Let's say there was something on the market you could buy. You go and say, that's not worth it. You know, you look at the price tag and say, that's not worth it. It's not worth it. But, you know, the very next guy will come and pay whatever it says on there and maybe even more. Perhaps they're willing to pay even more to buy it. So when you say it's not worth it, what do you really mean? I worked so hard to earn this money that I have with me and I'm not willing to part with it. Not for this price. I don't want to work that hard to get this. But the next guy is willing to work perhaps even twice as hard to get the same thing. Why? Because it's simply a case of perception. What's trash to one is treasure to another.
So you see, when you say it's not worth it, I'm not willing to pay that, I don't want to work so hard to get that. Right? Say, for instance, your boss, your employer said, if you work 10 nights at a stretch, right, you could get an extra week off. Now you'll be sat there wondering, do I, do I not? Is it worth it? Is the question you'll ask yourself. There's no push. It's your choice. You work 10 nights at a stretch, so you're going to be doing overtime. And in return, you'll get a week off. You might decide, nah, I don't want that. Not to be away from my family, not for 10 nights as a stretch. I don't want to do that. I want to be with my family. I want to be with my kids. I want to play with them. I want to watch TV, put my feet up and just, you know, chillax. Don't want to do that, you might say. But the next guy might think, ah, yes, I've been waiting for an extra week off. I've used up all my holiday and I was just looking for another week and now I've got this chance. Ten nights, give me twenty, I'll work it. If you're going to give me an extra week off, hell yeah, he'll say. Why? The difference being, there's something that you don't want or don't want as much, whereas the other guy wants it badly. Take away the want, effort becomes painful. I'll repeat. Take away the want, effort is painful. Put back the wanting in place, now it seems worth it. You don't break a sweat. You'll be like, ah, yeah, sure, I mean, you should give me all of it, I'll do it. You know, if you want to climb up the ranks in your organization, you know, you'll bend to every request your boss might make of you. Yes, sir, no, sir, three bags full, sir, you might say. Give me anything you got and I'll do it if you're going to give me that promotion. But if there's, there's another guy, you know, he's not interested in a promotion. He just, wants, he just wants the money and, you know, he's quite comfortable in his job. He's not, he's not all that career driven. He's quite comfortable where he is. Sometimes when an opportunity comes knocking on his door, he'll be like, nah, pass. I don't want that. I'm quite happy the way I am. Why? Because to him, he doesn't want what you want. Because to him, therefore, that effort is painful. It would be the same for you. Would you agree? If you didn't want it just as bad. So therefore, effort only becomes meaningful. Effort only becomes painless, but you know, that's a pseudo-painless. It's not true. It seems painless. It seems worthwhile when there's something you want. But the thing is this. Whether you want it or not, it's effort nonetheless. And it's effort that is painful. If you had to carry a ton of bricks to save your kid's life, wouldn't you at least try? I mean, don't take it literally, a ton of bricks, who can do that? Figuratively, I mean, right? If you had to carry a massive weight 
to save your kid's life, wouldn't you do it? But would the guy next door do it? Not for his kid, I mean for your kid. Would he do it? Probably not. Why not? Because there's something that he doesn't want, but you want. But are the bricks any lighter on your shoulders? Is it any heavier on his shoulders? It's the same weight. Just because you want something and he doesn't, does that mean the bricks are lighter or heavier? No, they weigh, they weigh exactly the same. So the burden is just the same. The effort required is just the same. It's just as painful. It's just as expensive. Therefore, you see, when you want something, you are willing to go to great lengths to get what you want and sometimes you will completely ignore. You completely forget and completely sideline. You'll choose to ignore that it is painful nonetheless. So isn't wanting the true source of suffering? And if you didn't want something, you wouldn't have to go through that pain. Therefore, would you not be in a state of happiness? You wouldn't have to carry that weight. You wouldn't have to go the extra mile. You wouldn't have to work so hard. Are you with me? I'm not trying to curb your enthusiasm by any means and, and suggesting by any means that, you know, you, none of you should now work as hard as you possibly can, you know, just, just do your nine to five, you know, just be at home, you know, just don't do your overtime, don't work hard. No, that's, that's not what, I'm, what I mean. I mean this in, in an entirely different context. I'm talking to you about the principle here, not about necessarily what you do on a day-to-day -day basis. I'm talking about the principle. So don't take this at the superficial level. Go deeper and think about the principle of it, folks. Think about the principle. Extra work, hard work, extra toiling, Labor, all of this is required because you want something, right? What happens every year when they release the new iPhone? There's a long queue of people, right, at the Apple stores. Why so? Why, ha why have I never queued up outside an iPhone store or an Apple store? Because I never wanted it. That's why. But there are people who are willing to queue for days on, waiting for the launch of the, or for the, for the doors to open so that they could go and grab their phone. And maybe they want the first one. It just depends on what people want. So, you know, you might walk past an Apple store, 
And if you're not the kind of guy who buys into the Apple you know, ecosystem, or if you're not an Apple person, you might look at that and go, what are these people thinking? Surely, you know, life must mean more than queuing up outside an Apple store. By the way, I've got nothing against Apple or anything like that. I'm just saying, and I'm just using an example. Okay, Android phone, right? If, you, if, you, if you've got anything against that. Who cares, right? I'm talking about the point here, the principle here. You might look at a queue of people outside a store, okay, waiting for the new Xbox, waiting for the new iPhone, right? waiting for the new watch, waiting for the new whatever. And you'll ask yourself the question, what's got into these people? Are they nuts? You might ask that question if you didn't, if it didn't feel the same to you. If you didn't want it just as much. So you see, they're willing to go the extra mile. They're willing to queue up for days on when there's something they want. But you, because you don't have that wanting, you'll stand aside and you'll look at them and go, gosh, that's painful. Look at that guy. It's snowing. It's chilling. It's, it's, it's cold outside. It's raining. And look at that guy. He's under a blanket and he's been there for three days. Waiting for launch day. Jeez, what's up with him? You'll ask this question. You'll ask this question because you don't know what it means like, what it feels like to want an iPhone so bad that you're willing to queue three days outside an Apple store. But to him, it's worth it. He might even queue up a week, a whole week, if that is how badly he wants it. Now, imagine there was no wanting. You know, look at you. Okay, Use that example. You don't want the iPhone. That guy wants the iPhone. He's willing to go through that pain to get what he wants. You don't want it, therefore you don't have to go through that pain. So if you, don't, if you didn't want something, would you go through pain? Would you have to subject yourself to pain if you didn't want that? That meaning anything? You can substitute iPhone with absolutely anything. Would you have to go through that pain? Would a mother have to go through all that pain if she didn't want a kid? The pain of labor? The pain of carrying that child in her womb for 10 long months? Just saying, you know, if a mother didn't want a kid, would she, would she have to do that? No, she wouldn't. Like if, if there are any among you who don't want kids, you know, you might even use that an, as an argument. Jeez, you know, I've seen what mothers have to go through. I know what my mother must have gone through to have me. You know, I just, I, I wouldn't want to put myself through that. You might think to yourself. It, it's only because you don't want it, whatever that it is. So when you don't want something, then you understand, then you see through a fresh light. A, a new perspective, a different perspective about the effort that someone has to make to get what they want, but you don't. And then you make your own judgment and you say, that's a lot of pain. Don't want to go through that. But to that person who wants it, it seems worthwhile. 
But does that make it any less heavier? Does that make labor any less painful? Are the labor pains any less painful for a mother who wants a child versus a mother who doesn't want it? No, they're just as painful. The ton of bricks is the ton of bricks. It's a ton of bricks. I mean, it's a ton of bricks. It's a ton of bricks. It's always a ton. Whether you want to carry the load or not, it's still a ton of bricks. Which way is heavier? A ton of bricks when you want to carry it or a ton of bricks that doesn't that you don't want to carry? Which one weighs heavier? You get my point, don't you? But you see, if you didn't want to carry it, then you wouldn't put yourself through that. So, if there was a state of mind, right? Now follow this logic with me. If there was a state of mind which did not want absolutely anything, Okay, I'll, I'll take one step back just to help make things more meaningful to you. Imagine all you needed was what you needed for your sustenance. So that would be food, clothes, meds, and shelter. Just these three, four things. What were they? Food, medicines, clothes, and shelter. The four things that you would need for your sustenance. Just, you know, just to be alive. If these four things were the only things that you needed, and you know, this is why we call them needs rather than wants, right? I'm talking about wanting, I'm not talking about needing. Talk about wanting. Because needs are needs, you know, they have to be met. Otherwise, you, you drop dead. We're not talking about death. That's not the purpose. We're talking about a fulfilled life. Life has to be alive. Otherwise, it wouldn't be life. We're talking about a fulfilled life. We're talking about a happy life. How do we get there? You can't do that being dead, surely. Right? So the four requisites, the four things we need, put that to a side. Think about everything else. They're not needs. What are they? They're wants. And if something's a want, you'll have to work for it. Yes, you'll have to work for your needs as well, but you know, you've got no choice there. But with wants, you can either want it or you can not want it. Now imagine a state of mind where you didn't want anything. Just the needs, zero wants. Would you have to queue outside the Apple store? Would you have to go through that pain? Would you have to go through the pain of labor? Would you? Would you be queuing outside any store for that matter? Would you be doing those extra night shifts? Would you have to be working extra hours? Would you be hopping on that train or jumping on that bus? Would you be running to catch a flight? Would you have to wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning because you need to catch the 5 o'clock flight to New York? 5 a.m., yes. Would you? And if you didn't want a new car, would you, if you didn't want a new bike, 
if you didn't want a new sofa, a new wallpaper. I'm talking about wants, right? I'm not talking about needs. If you have, if you need somewhere to sit, you need somewhere to sit, so you better go get that sofa. And if, if your house is in a, in a in a right mess, then you know if it needs wallpaper, it needs wallpaper. I'm not talking about needs here, folks. I need you to understand this. I'm talking about wants. Needs are things that are necessary. Wants are a privilege. Wants arise out of desire. Wants arise out of craving. Wants are whims and fancies. They're not essentials. If you didn't have any wants, if you didn't want to be with that particular girl, or with any girl for that matter, you know, a crush is not something you need. A crush is something you want. Right? So if you didn't have a if you didn't want a crush, if you didn't want a life partner, now again you might say, but Bhante, what are you talking about? Right? For a fulfilling life, you need a life partner. Really? Do I look like someone who needs more fulfilling with a life partner? No, these are all wants, folks. Have you not known anyone living without a partner and living a fulfilled life? There are things you want. You want to feel loved, don't you? You want someone to care about you. Do you need love or do you want love? So when you want things, you want someone to be with you so that they can provide the things you want. And in exchange, you'll have to provide the things that they want. So it's really a trade of wants. Isn't it? I'll give you what you want if you can give me what I want. You scratch my back, I scratch yours. <laughs> what are you thinking? Whoa, Bhante, you're taking this. You're taking this too far. Is that what you're thinking? No, but it's the truth, isn't it? Think about it. When you want something, you'll have to go a long length, a long distance to get what you want. Now imagine a state of mind where there are absolutely no wants. Then you'll not have to engage in any of that hard work no toil, no labor, no strenuous activity, no overtime, no carrying those bricks on your shoulders, no weary muscles, no heartaches, no headaches, no backaches, no leg aches, no aches, full stop. Right? So all of that wouldn't be there. And if all of that wouldn't be there, then what are you in a state of? That would be a state of? Happiness, wouldn't it? That's why I said, happiness is the default state. It's only when you begin to want something, you are now beginning to impact that default state of happiness. Now you might ask, well, Bhante, but 
how can we not want things? I mean, we want things, right? I, I want people. I want, I want my wife. I want my children. I want this. I want that. You know, how can you even suggest that I can, how do I stop wanting? Well, first, I need you to understand that it is wanting that brings you this suffering. It is wanting that takes you away from the default state of happiness. So if you can at least imagine, right, at least imagine for this for the for the time being, and we'll we'll continue our discussion as to, you know, if it is even possible, how do we get there? Right? Is that is this is this all, you know, just you know theoretical? Practically, is this even possible? We'll we'll get to we'll get there. But for the time being, that's why I said a hypothesis for now. If you can imagine a state of mind, imagine you with zero wants. You have needs. And we satisfy every need you have, the four requisites, nothing more. You can't tell me anything more than this is a need. Food, shelter, clothes and medicines. This is all you need for your sustenance. Anything else is a want. If you can imagine yourself to not have any wants, absolutely no wants, zero wants, what would your state of mind be like? All that hard work, gone. Sleepless nights, gone. Heartaches, gone. Headaches, gone. No? So all that pain, gone. Because you only need the pain to get the gain. So if there were no gains you wanted, then you'd need no pains. You can be without the pain. So therefore, if there were no wants in your mind, if, if, I'm saying if, this is a big if. Yes, I know it's a big if. I agree. All right, I agree. We'll get, we'll get there, we'll get there. Don't worry. If there was a state of mind where you didn't want anything, would you now agree with me that that state of mind would be pure bliss? Except, of course, yes, I give you that. The needs, the necessities, the stuff you need for your sustenance. Just forget that for the time being. Because that's just four things. But what about the things you want? Can you count them on the fingers of your hand? The things you want? All the fingers and all the hands of all the people living in this world might not be enough to count all the things you want. You'll have more things you want than the hair strands of hair on your head. I'm not criticizing you. Please don't take it that way. I'm just pointing out the truth. It's a place I was. But a place I'm moving out of. So I'm, I'm presenting these ideas to you only because I want you to think about them. As I said, please remain open-minded. And I know and I agree and I accept that they may go completely against your current philosophy, your way of thinking, your way of life. And so they, this may be hard to stomach. This may not be very palatable, palatable either. Right? But nonetheless, if you just remain open-minded, and if nothing else, you know, just think of this as a sum to work through. It's just, you know, just for fun. You're doing it just for fun. And if the, if the things I present to you, if I, the, thing, the, the ideas I share with you don't make any sense, you've got lost anything. You don't have to fundamentally change your, your, your philosophy or your way of thinking or your way of life just because someone comes along and says something that they think. You can hold on to what you believe, that's fine. But I want to present to you, because I presented the, there was a problem and you agree with me on, with me on that. 
that any happiness that you go after is not permanent. It's very temporary. So we have a problem and I'm suggesting there's an answer to that problem. There's a solution to that problem. And in that light, in that tone, I present to you, imagine a state of mind. Zero wants. Wouldn't that be a state of pure bliss? Wouldn't that be a state of happiness? Now, if wanting was something that we had to do, if it was artificial, if wanting was something that was created in our minds by some sort of mechanism, we'll get to that later, then you've got to admit that there would have been a time in our minds where there were no wants. It only needs you to go back to your childhood to ask yourself, well, actually, that's true. There were days like that where in my childhood, I didn't want so many things as I do today. So you can imagine this time in your, in your childhood, at least. There was a time in your life where you didn't want all the things you want today, where your wants are simple and easily satisfiable. So imagine that. So therefore, then you can imagine a state of mind where someone has zero wants. Now, wouldn't you agree then? That would be a state of happiness. And if that were the default state, and all these wants that you have today have been piled up in your mind one over the other, one by one, gradually but surely, Today, you're the result of all that indoctrinations, of all those ideas, all those wants that have been so carefully, strategically, surgically inserted into your mind. All that has happened through a very carefully crafted mechanism. I'll get to that later. So for today, I want to leave you with this. I invite you to, again, open your mind, be open-minded, and think about these concepts that we have discussed. Don't fall into your predispositions. Please be open-minded. I invite you to do this and remain open-minded because I feel if you do that, you will really get the essence of what I have to share with you folks. And I want to give you this. I really want to. Because I want you to have what I want today. What is that? A method, a mechanism, a way, an experience of unconditional happiness. Where nothing in this world can shake it. So I want to leave you with that. I want to leave you with the ideas we've discussed today. It might be worthwhile just going back and watching this video once over, just to make sure that you know some of those ideas have been rightly seated in the right places in your in your mind, so you can sort of analyze those things and play with some of those ideas and try and give it another shot. And we'll continue the discussion next week. And if all that sounded 
<laughs> that just that just didn't make any sense at all, Bhante. It's all right. Just give me another chance. Let's give each other another chance. There's always another week. We'll continue this conversation next week. All right. So before we conclude, let us take a moment to transfer the merits we have all acquired to be grateful to all those who've helped us get this far and to share the Buddha's message of ultimate happiness. Therefore, first and foremost, let us take a moment to transfer the merits we have all acquired by making offerings to the infinite virtues of the Noble Triple Gem, chanting Pirits and listening to the Dhamma and engaging in various meritorious deeds today, reminding ourselves how incredibly fortunate we are to be in receipt of the Lord Buddha's teaching and with immense gratitude let us transfer these merits to the bhikkhus and bhikkhunis Upasikas and Upasikas, who, since time immemorial, have protected and preserved the sublime teachings of the Buddha and passed it down through the generations of the noble lineage in the form of the Tripitaka, which is thankfully available to us today to study, understand and comprehend the Dhamma. Let us also transfer the merits we have acquired to all members of the Mahasangha present throughout the world, including the chief prelates of all the chapters who have dedicated their lives to the noble path and have committed themselves towards the betterment of all sentient beings. Let us not forget that among them are the monks and nuns resident in your local temples and nunneries, who have always been by your side through thick and thin, come rain or shine. And let us also transfer these merits to our teachers and all other monks resident at this monastery, as well as all the Anagarikas and Anagarikas attached to the monastery. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits and express our gratitude to those who make great efforts to disseminate the teachings of the Buddha, be that by transliterating these sermons, sharing them out with others and inviting others to join them, and may through the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plane, redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plane. May through the power of these merits, they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also transfer the merits that we have all acquired to our devotees and friends of the monastery, who for the sake of merits continue to sustain the Mahasangha. This includes everyone from those of you who have contributed to the construction of the monastery and to those of you who have provided the Mahasangha with shelter, arms, robes and medicines, as well as those who have passed on their know-how and continue to extend their well-wishes. May to the power of these merits, they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer merits to our mothers and fathers, husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins, nephews and nieces, our elders, friends and acquaintances, employees and employees, and to all those who have helped us and supported us, assisted us in any way, shape or form. By the power of these merits, may they be healed of any physical and mental ailments and overcome any obstacles to their spiritual progress. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Let us also take a moment to transmit to the devas and brahmas, spirits and demons, and primarily the Sakha devas, all, as, all the numerous gods and deities, who are committed to protect and fulfill the Samudasasana. It is also transmitted to our guardian deities who keep a watchful eye over us and keep us out of harm's way. And may to the power of these merits they prosper in divine power and wisdom. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer merits to our ancestors who have predeceased us, to all who have been our families and friends and acquaintances in this long journey in Sansara, and those who have helped and supported us and assisted us in every way they could. Let us also transfer merits to the members of the armed forces as well as the police force who have sacrificed their lives to protect the peace and harmony of our nations and may all those who lost their lives in the war be their friend or foe rejoice in the merits that we have acquired today. Let us also transfer merits to all those who lost their lives in the natural calamities such as tsunamis and earthquakes, landslides and pandemics including the most recent and prevailing one 
reminding ourselves that among them will be those who've been our friends and family to us in this long journey. Let us take a moment to transfer merits to them and may to the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plains, redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. So, so, so. And finally, let us all resolve that may to the power and blessings of all the merits we have acquired throughout the day, we be able to witness the advent of many hundreds of thousands of Arahants on this blessed land. And finally, may to the power of all the merits we have acquired today, you and I, and everyone who has helped make this program a success, become an Arahat Anvahanse, an Arahat Mehenin Vahanse in this very life and in the era of the Gautama Supreme Buddha itself. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. And on that note, we will conclude today's talk. Looking forward to speaking to you again next week. May the blessings of the Noble Triple Gem be with you all.